Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. Amen. Again, thank you for being here, and thank you, Roger, for coming to join with us this morning. And We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning, and that last song, I know it was new to our church, uh, but really exactly what we're going to speak on this morning, that hits uh, really just about perfect, looking at an examined faith, and is my faith authentic? And one of the things that I spoke of, and I mentioned last week at the very end of the service, before we uh, concluded, I just made reference to some of the things that I have been going through and dealing with personally, and really just trying to go back in my own life and kind of examine and look at myself and see who I am and what are the things that need to change, and looking at our church and examining where we are as a church. And though none of it is... It's not necessarily, it's not a bad thing, it's just I'm going back through and I'm evaluating and I'm looking. And and as I've gone through and I've done those things, uh, one of the things that keeps coming back to me, one is authenticity, but it's that, that we have to constantly be doing that. And in order to do that, just what that passage, or what that song just said, give me faith that I would listen, that I would act, that I would hear, that I would, I would, I would do those things. And so how many times in our lives we may say, God, would you, would you speak to me? And then in the midst of him speaking to you, you're like, well, I really don't want to hear that, so I continue to move on in my life, and I just kind of ignore everything. And so this morning, I pray that your prayer would be just that, that you would hear what God says to you as an individual and to us as a church, and uh, that this morning's message would just be exactly what it needs to be, and that we as a church, as individuals, would truly examine our faith in him. When I was 13 years old, uh, I had the great opportunity, many of you have shared stories all the time about baseball, but when I was 13, I, I started playing traveling baseball. And so for the first time, I went from just participating in uh, baseball right around the, the town that I lived in where we had play those, the same group of teams all the time, and I went from that and I tried out with a team that was called the Manchester A's, and it was in Akron, so it was about a 20, 30 minute drive, and, and I went and I tried out for this team. Made the team, we, tar- we, we, we began to play games, and one of the places that we had a tournament was in Michigan. And so we traveled uh, on that particular weekend up into Michigan. We stayed at a hotel. Well, uh, at that time, I wasn't, I wasn't real privy to a lot of things, I guess, because you you're 13 and you just do what you're doing. But we get to Michigan, and it was the NBA draft was at the same exact time that we were in Michigan. And it was in the same exact area that we were. And as I'm walking around, all of us as guys, we're 13-year-old guys walking around, we're looking at giants everywhere that we go. And so as we're walking and we're walking into the hotel, we just were like everybody around us is like, for us as 13-year-old kids, I was probably four foot something. I don't know, I was a midget. But it's like everything, we were just looking at giants. And eventually we began to understand, oh, who are these people? And then we recognized, oh, they're the NBA draft. And so at that time we started checking out who's what and who's where. And, and we realized at this time that people were staying at our hotel. Some of you will know these names, but others of you won't. But that's okay. But Sean Bradley is seven foot six. 
He was staying at the hotel with us. Jamal Washburn, or Mashburn, sorry, Bobby Hurley, Alan Houston, George Lynch, Chris Mills, and the list goes on and on. And as a kid, I was looking, and so we grabbed a basketball from the house before we left, and we put it in the back of the car, and if there was a, a, a hoop somewhere, a park, we would grab it, and we'd shoot hoops when we traveled. And so I ran, and I went to the back of the car, and I grabbed this basketball that we had thrown in the back seat, and And I began to grab a marker and get guys to begin to sign this ball. I'll never forget Sean Bradley. Again, uh, seven feet six is really, really big. Whether you're 13 years old or you're 36 years old, when you see somebody seven foot six walking around, you recognize. I'm seeing Sean like, you know, it's one of these. Like, I don't know that I came up to mid-thigh. And this guy is walking and he goes in and he walks past everybody, just, you know, big old giant of a man and he goes into the elevator this is no exaggeration he's in the elevator like this the doors are closing and I'm like I got it I run into the elevator and I sneak in and I'm like you know Sean is like this and I'm like hey you know and they're like "Uh, can you please leave (laughs) so I had to leave out of the elevator but uh But I got Sean's autograph eventually, and I got this ball that has all of these autographs from all of these guys that were being drafted into the NBA in that particular year. You know, today I still have that basketball. And as much at that time as I recognized many of those guys, today that basketball is worth absolutely nothing. And let me tell you why. Because there is no authenticity to that basketball. If you collect anything, especially autographs or any kind of memorabilia, you would know that the one thing that you need is you need some form of a letter of authenticity. Because I could sign a ball and say, hey, look, that such and such is autograph. But there's people that would make that authentic. I say that this morning because of this. As we get into this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and we begin to look at our lives as people. We're looking at that one question, is my faith authentic? Paul, in this particular passage of Scripture, really going back for a little bit before where we're at, but Paul is being questioned. Paul's authenticity of being an apostle is being questioned. Men were questioning if he was a real apostle. They would begin to ask him things, and they would try to doubt, and they would try to spread the the hate, if you would, and they would try to spread false narrative about who this man Paul was, that he was not a true apostle. Is he authentic? Listen, if there's a a phrase that comes across every... Anybody and everybody that's outside of Christianity, it's this one word. What is it? Hypocrisy, right? What do people want? They want to know that you are real, genuine, authentic. I'm not going back to church because there are a bunch of hypocrites. Good. Don't go back to work. Don't go home and don't go anywhere. But that's the thing that's always stated, right? Christianity, it's a bunch of hypocrites. It's a bunch of hypocrites. Why? We want authenticity. People want authenticity. And so as we go through this, Paul is being questioned. And Paul begins to confront sin and to challenge them. He looks at them in in the beginning of chapter 13. He says, this is the third time I am coming to you. Basically, I don't want to come back. 
I've been here too many times looking at these same things. He begins to question and, and challenge them in sin. And then in verse number three, since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, he again, they are seeking his authenticity. Is he real? Is this man a true apostle? And here's what he, he goes on. And, and it says, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. And he says in verse 4, For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. We look at this and basically here's what was going on and we'll get into the passage this morning. These people were questioning the authenticity of the apostleship of Paul. And in that they begin to question and say, But Paul, you are weak. Paul, you didn't stand up and fight the way that I thought you would fight. Paul, we are expecting you to be the man. We are expecting you to go to battle. Paul, we are thinking that you are this. If you truly are this person, then you are going to be bold and fight. And where they got it wrong was in Paul's meekness and Paul's humility in certain areas. Instead of fighting, they were calling him weak. And Paul says, so Christ died in weakness, but yet lives in the power of God. He turns it back on them. No, it's not weakness. No, I am, I am authentic. And he goes through this. And then we get to the passage where we are this morning. And where we're going to look at this morning is an examined life. Because in verse number 5, he then says, examine yourselves. Instead of Paul going to those people and saying, these are all the reasons that I am real. He flips it back to them and he says, let me ask you this. Is your faith pure? Is your faith authentic? And this morning, I'm going to ask you this question, and I'm going to challenge you. Would you examine your faith this morning? Would you ask God, and I'm not here to question your salvation. I'm not here to do any of those things. That is not the intent of this morning. But as I have been trying to do, I am far from perfect. I promise you that. But I have been trying very hard to truly examine who Aaron Flanagan is. I want to grow I want to be a better father. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a, a better man of God. I want to be a better pastor to you. I want to be able to teach better. I want to be better. And so I begin to examine myself in different areas of my life. And I am challenging you this morning. Would you just say, God, would you open my heart, open my eyes, that I would truly examine who I am as a man, as a woman, as a believer, as somebody that is seeking out Christ. And this morning that you would examine the, the true authenticity of your faith this morning. Father God, I come to you this morning and I ask. Lord, I, I, I just, you know my heart in this. I have prayed through this passage. I am excited for this passage. I'm looking forward to, to sharing. And Lord, I truly believe that in this that we can begin to grow. We can draw closer to you. We can... We can see things in our own lives that we may like or not like. But God, I pray that we would then respond to it. Lord, I pray that as there's people that sit in this room today that may not know you as Savior. Lord, maybe they are seeking you. Maybe they are, they are questioning their salvation. They are questioning where they are in this walk with, with, in life, but then in eternity. God, may today they examine their faith. May somebody come to know you. 
May we as a church give our lives to you or back to you. That you would be used in us to do a mighty thing here at Oasis and in this valley. Lord, I love you. I praise you. And I thank you so much for allowing us to meet together today to worship you. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, we look at these two verses. I know in your uh, bulletin it says 5 through 10. The more that I got into the study, the more that I recognized and realized if I went all the way through 10, we would be here for a while. And so I decided to uh, cut that down. Uh, Hopefully you'll appreciate that. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to read two verses this morning. And I pray that uh, you will ask God to just speak to you. But it says this, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. And then in verse number 7 it says, Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. And as we look in this passage of Scripture, the first thought is this, is that of authentic examination, an authentic examination. I don't know about you, uh, I did not exactly love getting tests in high school. Anybody love tests? Anybody? Good. Nobody raised their hand at all. I hated tests. Don't raise your hand. I hated tests. I didn't really much like school at all, but I really hated tests. And I was not good at studying. I think it's kind of, I think part of God's humor is that I am now a pastor and the bulk of my day is spent studying. But I hated studying. I never studied anything until I got into college. And even at that, Mindy and I would go and sit down uh, wherever we were. We'd go into the commons area. We'd go somewhere and she would try to help me study. If you want a good comical laugh, I'm sure she'd have stories about how I was attempting to study. Because we would get into something and then like three seconds later I'm like, hey, did you, what is going, what's that? Right? I don't know if there was ADDD or whatever, squirrel, whatever. But that was me. I hated studying. I was not good at it. And so I hated exam times. I hated all those things. You have six months of stuff, and they're going to ask you ten questions on that six months of information. Are you kidding me? Right? I don't know if anybody else, I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe you love it. I hated that. Hey, read those five chapters. There's 300 pages. And you're going to ask me ten questions on that? I didn't like it. Can you tell? I didn't like exams. But what are exams used for? The exams are used to know your proficiency into some form of subject. Do you know what's being taught? And we we use them for several different things. Obviously, we use them in school. Our kids go through them and whatever. But you do them in, in, in your profession as well. It may not be that you sit down and you have to take a written test, but you're going to be tested on something. Hopefully, if you work in whatever area, you are prof- proficient in it enough to do the job that you need to be do- that needs to be done. You've taken some kind of a test. And the further that you go in your profession, you will continue to have tests. Again, they may not be sitting down, but someone's going to 
evaluate you through different things of your life. There's always those things. And Paul says to examine whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. And this morning I come to you at Oasis. I come to you as an individual and ask that question or say that thing. Examine ourselves. Paul was facing the same thing that we're facing today. There is nothing different in the church of Corinth than there, there today than there was in the church of Corinth. There was people that sat in a pew that would say things and do things that did not at all represent Christ. There were people that sat in a pew that were 100% sold out. There were people that sat in a, ch- in a church in a pew that were there that were just kind of like, eh, I've here, I say it all the time, I've checked it off my box. I've kind of done my, my churchly act for the day. And so you had all of those things. And there's people then the same that there are here. And Paul was saying, examine yourselves. You are trying to test me. You're trying to do these things. He kind of flips it back to them and he says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Here at our church at Oasis, our mission is that we would be passionate followers of Christ. And I'll say this, the reality in this is, it should be every person's desire to passionately follow Christ. Jesus Christ. Every one of our desires should be to draw closer to Him passionately. But I'll tell you this, we cannot do that unless we're examining ourselves on a very regular basis. And not just examining ourselves on a regular basis, but examining ourselves not according to one another, but according to God. If you are anything like me, I do this often. I will examine myself and say, well, I'm doing better than he is, so we're all good. Right? Because it's easy to say, I'm doing better than they are. But when we stop, it's not about whether I'm doing better than you or you or you. It's how am I doing and how am I lining up according to God, according to God's word. And as we look at this all throughout scripture, this word examine is there. If we go back to Job in chapter 13, it says, How many are mine iniquities and sins? And it says, Job says this, Make me to know my transgression and my sin. Job was asking God, Job was speaking, God, how many of these? He's examining himself. God, I want to know these things. In Psalm 26, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. In Psalm 139, a very, very familiar passage. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. There's always been men of God that have sought after throughout Scripture and tested. God, test me. God, show me. God, search me. And we must be doing the same thing. It isn't just to ask those questions. Let me, I'm going to go through the next couple moments and we're going to go through the book of Hebrews briefly. We're not going to go to the, you don't have to turn there. But in specific chapters of of Hebrews, it gives us a warning. It gives us a danger. It gives us different things that we as, as church believers, churchgoers, I would say, face on a regular basis. In Hebrews, the first, or chapter number two, It speaks of really paying attention. It says, uh, the first three verses, it speaks of paying attention to the preaching or teaching of the Word of God. And it says, as to not drift away, as to not fall away, that we would adhere to the Word of God, that we would hear it, take it in, soak it up. Why? So that we would not go away from it. 
And it says even further, it takes it and really is pointing it back to to chapter number one. Why would we not do that? Why? Because in chapter number one, it says that he is the heir of all things. God is the heir of all things. He made the world. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the one who upholds all things by the power of his word. God's word is saying they are accountable for the gospel because they heard it. For you and I. It's easy for me to say, hey, I'm the pastor. I'm teaching. I hope that you're listening. And I hope you're doing something with it. But the reality is, it's not about me being the teacher pastor. It's not about Mike teaching in an adult class. It's not about any of these things. It's that when the word of God is taught, we listen and we adhere. Why? So that we would not go apart, be apart from it. Why? That we would not leave it. But even further, why? Because he's the God that created. He's the God that's the heir of all things. He is the God that's all-powerful, that's all-knowing. And he's trying to speak to us. And in that, it says this, that we would not neglect our salvation. That we would not neglect so great a salvation. That we would hear it. That we would adhere to it. And that we would not neglect the salvation that God has presented for us. In Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, it gives us more warnings. One of the biggest ones that are in there is for who are those that are in the church that would hear the preaching of the gospel message, that would be a part of it, that would have seen the hand of God first time. Listen, if you are here and you've been here for any point of time and you've walked with God for any length of time, you've seen the hand of God somewhere in your life. Period. Right? If you have followed God at all, You've seen God's hand work. In Hebrews, the writer is speaking of this, and it's saying that as you're in this, but yet you choose not to surrender to it. We sit and we listen and we sit and we listen and we sit and we listen, and yet we say the same thing over and over again, and it's just... Hey, church, how is church? Good. Man, what's God doing in your life? Oh, God's good. No, what's God doing in your life? Oh, well, you know, I, I, I well, it was, it, it, and we, no, who is God? How many times I would have to raise my hand and say, I grew up in this. My whole life I sat in a church My whole life I sat under a pastor. My whole life I I was raised in a Christian home. My whole life, and yet I would go to church. And if you were to say, hey, how is your Christian, how is your devotions, how is this? I would say, and I would give you a really, really good Sunday school garbage answer. Why? Because I knew what to say, but it was not real in my heart. And as it became real in my heart and I surrendered it to God, man, It wasn't any longer just about some Sunday school answer, but I'm being able to tell you how good God is. And it's not just sitting in a chair, it's acting it, it's taking it in, and it's allowing God to change me from the inside that I would be something that He would desire for me to be. God never desired that you would sit in a chair and say you're a church member. God desired that you would love Him, that you would serve Him, that you would know Him intimately. And when you know somebody intimately, you act differently about that. That was God's desire. 
And in Hebrews, as we're looking at these, one of the greatest warnings was that they are outwardly a part of the church, but there's nothing that's fully surrendered in their life. Listen, one of the most big, one of the biggest dangers for any of us that sit in this room today is that you've heard exactly what I'm saying and that you're reading God's word. Because when we hear it, I'm now accountable for it. And when I stand before God, I will be accountable for sitting in a chair in a church service all of my life, and I will be accountable for what I did with that. The same as everybody else. And in Hebrews, they were saying that. Another one in chapter 6, those, have, those who have in some ways been superficially involved, sitting on the fence, He's telling them in this passage of Scripture that they would leave the elementary teachings and they would grow in maturity in Christ. Somebody might say, I've been been in church for the last 30 years, 40 years, whatever it is. You may have been in church for the last 30, 40 years, but if you're still in the milk of the Word of God, then you need to grow up. We must examine our lives. We have to. Why? Not because pastor said so. God's word said so. We must examine our lives. Hebrews 10 gives more warnings. And the dangers that are uh, facing those who understand but again do not commit. This morning. Maybe you sit here. And you would say pastor I would be one that I've sat in a church for a few times. Maybe this is your first time, but you would say, I've heard the word of God. I've just never acted on the word of God. I would say this. What are you waiting for? God's word says in Acts chapter number four, it says there is none other, no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Listen, I would just challenge you. I would encourage you make today the day of your salvation. Do not wait any longer. Listen, for those of you that sit here that have sat here for the last two years and three years and five years and seven years and ten years and however long that you've sat, whether it's at Oasis or any other church, I would ask you the same question. Have you examined yourself in the faith? Where are you? Are you still taking milk when you've been here for 10 years and you need to begin eating some meat examine we have to examine ourselves because God never intended for any of us to stay where we are he intended for us to be changed to be a new creation old things are passed away all things become new That was the intention, that we would desire to intimately grow with Him. The second thought this morning is, the first one, that we would authentic uh, examination, that we would have an authentic examination. The second thought is that we would have an authentic benefit. There is an authentic benefit. Paul said to examine yourself. His desire as mine is this morning that our church would grow in Christ. The desire for anybody, listen, if you... If you teach, if you lead, if you are a believer in Christ, regardless of what you do in Christ, your desire is that the people that are around you would grow in Christ. My desire is that our church would grow in Christ. That's my greatest, that, that's as a leader, as a pastor, that is, that's, that's a desire of mine. If it's not, I don't need to be here. If a leader over you does not have a desire for you to walk in Christ, They don't need to lead you in Christ, right? (laughs) Mike, if your heart's not broken for the people teaching, 
we need to have a problem. We have a problem. If you're teaching Sunday school, if you're teaching Awana kids, and your desire is not that they would walk in Christ and have a greater relationship with Christ, then examine, but we need to change something. That should be all of our desire. But as we look at this, Paul's desire was that his church, that the church of Corinth would have an authentic faith, that they would be examining themselves, that they would not be stagnant, that they would not be comfortable. I'll tell you this, there's been plenty of times in my life where I've gotten really comfortable. Anybody else gotten comfortable before? Hey, this afternoon, let me challenge you. Go eat, go sit on your couch for three minutes and tell me if you get comfortable, if you want to take a nap or if you want to get up and go do something. If you're anything like me, Sunday afternoon, I really have one desire. I could care less if there's a football game on. I could care less what's going on. I really enjoy sitting on a couch, putting my feet up for a few minutes. And I get comfortable. And then I don't want to move. We do that right here also. I do it in my Christian life. Things are going easy. Things are going smooth. I'll say this. Where I stand, we move into a building. We paid everything off in this property right now. God's been good. We got some sound panels up. The floors are done. You know what we do? Things are good. And we get comfortable. I'll tell you, this place isn't done. Because if I go over here, You can't see me. Do you know why? Because two lights work. There's a lot of things that aren't finished. Do you know what else? The neighbors that are back here, guess where they're at? They're in their houses watching TV. Do you know where they're not? In the chairs that are empty beside you. We aren't finished. The work is isn't finished but you know what we do we get comfortable it's nice to look out and see the place pretty full it's encouraging it's nice but if i get to a place where i'm comfortable seeing x amount of people in the in the pews in the chairs whatever it is shame on me but that's what we do and we get comfortable and paul's desire was that nobody would be comfortable my desire is that we would not be comfortable but we would constantly be growing and the only way to do that is that we would constantly examine ourselves again if our mission is to be passionate followers of christ then we have to examine ourselves because we'll see oh in this area i am no longer passionate i have gotten complacent and i need to get back on the ball Over the last several weeks, I've looked at Dan and I've said certain things and I've said one thing, we've got to get to work. There's work that has to be done. We've sat in this auditorium and I've watched those stupid cords hang there for a year. And how many times have I had the conversation with different men in this room, we need to do this. And you know what we've done? We've left them sit there. Yes, that's partially my fault. Why? Being comfortable, busy, whatever it is. But we do those simple things, and the more that we do them, the more that we go, things are okay. And we do that in our Christian lives. Because it's, it's okay to get up in the morning or to go to bed at night and to go, man, I missed out on my devotions today. I'll get them again tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, and we wake up a few minutes late, or we go to bed or whatever, we're tired, and we go, ah. I missed out on this again. I didn't make that call that I needed to make. 
and we get more and we get more and we get more comfortable. There's many benefits to being in Christ. But I'll say this, what a joy it is to examine ourselves and be able to prove that you're in the faith. To be able to prove, this, this passage of Scripture says uh, in verse number 5 at the very end, except you be a reprobate. And then in verse number 6 it says, we are not reprobates. That I would prove that I'm not a reprobate. That I would sit and I would in examination through God's Word and I would see what God's Word says and I could line up with it and I could say, no, I know without a shadow of a doubt, I have an assurance that God is my Savior and I know because I've examined my faith and I know that my faith is authentic. Not because I am doing better than somebody that's sitting in a chair, but because I've examined it according to God and God's Word. And I can know without a doubt that my faith is authentic. Man, there is a joy that should come into your life when you recognize, and it's not a matter of saying, well, I remember when I was eight years old and I said a prayer. No, when you examine your life and you can see the fruit in your life, that the faith is real in you, when we examine ourselves, there's a joy that comes with that. Why? Because I know the hope that I have in Christ. And there's a joy in that. There's a great benefit. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A benefit of knowing Christ is understanding that he is in us. That it's no longer me, but it's him We recognize that more and more as we continue to search and to grow in Him. The benefit of an authentic faith is an assurance. It's a hope. It's a transformed life. It's passing a test. Have you ever taken a test? Who's taken a test before? Some of y'all getting a little eh, sleepy. I think, can you turn the air on? Is anybody else hot? Comfortable. Well, when you're comfortable, you fall asleep. I'm trying to yell and people doing this and I'm sweating. These lights are hot. Listen, you know, what? There's only two, but they're right on me. But listen, when you take a test, there's like this nervousness about it. There's this, I've studied, I have a confidence, I think I did really well. But when you receive the exam back and you receive the test back and it says 92 or 100 or 80 whatever, and whatever it is that you're happy with, we'll just go with it. But whatever that is and you say, yes, I did what I needed to do, I succeeded. You have a, there's a joy. There is a relief when you examine yourself according to God's word. And you look at that and you can say, man, I'm not perfect. I have a lot of room to grow. But I know, I know that this is a part of my life. I can see this in my life and I know that's there and I can see that there and I can look and I can look in the mirror and I can go, no, I know without a shadow of a doubt. I have a hope. I have a future. I have all of these things because God is in me and I can see it and others can see it and there's confirmation. When I do that, When I've examined, I've passed that test, there is a great joy of knowing those things. There's a great benefit of knowing that you have an authentic faith. There's a great benefit. 
I've stood before many people this last year, in 2017, and stood before men and women who have passed on. And I'll promise you this, there is a huge difference in knowing an authentic true faith and not having a a complete assurance in where that person is today. It's different talking to two different kinds of people. It's different talking to people that have cancer, that know Christ, and that don't know Christ. It's different. You know what the difference is? It's the benefit of having an assurance of exactly who God is, exactly who God is in you, and the hope that we have for tomorrow. The benefit, an authentic benefit, and lastly this morning, an authentic mark. An authentic mark. As we look at this passage of Scripture, and these next few verses aren't necessarily in the passage that we're looking at, but I would ask you this, as I'm, I'm asking you to examine your life, I'm asking you and I'm, I'm challenging you with that. As you look at your Christian life, as I have to look at mine, there's certain things that I can say, it's one thing for me to say I'm a Christian because I attend church. I'm a Christian because I do good. I'm a Christian because I this, because I this, because I that. It's another thing when we can look at the depths of who we are and say, I'm examining my walk. I'm examining God in my life. And I'm examining this, this Christianity that I'm in. And I can look at it and I can say, I know I have that. I know I have that. I know I have that. Because God's Word reveals all of those things to us. And so there's a few things this morning as we wrap up that'll give you kind of a mark that you can look at your own heart and you can say, no, I know that that's me. One of them is this, that you would have a penitent, a contrite, a remorseful, an apologetic heart. As we talked, uh, really it was several weeks ago, when we truly encounter the Holy Spirit, there's something that's changed within us. Isaiah, if you were there, you've been with us, Isaiah saw God. And he said, what? Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, unworthy. I am unworthy. I'm unworthy. When you come before God, you truly have a penitent, remorseful, apologetic. A, your life, your, your heart changes towards sin and towards the things of this world. Because we no longer can look in the mirror and say, oh, things are okay. I've now seen God. I've understood perfection to the best of my earthly ability. I see and sense holiness, and I can no longer be acceptable of these things in my life, and I hate it. I am remorseful. I'm apologetic. I need those things to be changed, and that's a penitent heart. Psalm 32 says, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sins. We must confess our sin. It isn't just having the knowledge of spiritual things. It, is, it isn't just saying that we believe. But when we truly examine ourselves, we would see the depths of our heart and have a remorseful heart towards sin. Another one is this, that we would have a righteous desire. Matthew 5 and verse 6 says, The redeemed hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness. Man, when I come to a place where I recognize God as my Lord and Savior, I have a desire, a thirst for righteousness. That does not make me perfect. 
But my desire is that I would no longer do those things. That in my new creation, I desire righteousness. I desire those things. If we were to continue, and I'm not for the sake of time, but if you were to continue through chapter 5, really through the, the rest of that verse, those, that whole chapter, you'd begin to see many of those things. What do I desire? What should righteousness look like? I should no longer desire this. I should desire that. And so I would challenge you on your own. You can go there, but Matthew chapter 5 is there. But our desire for righteousness, we would desire to seek and to, uh, to, to leave and abstain from wickedness. It's no longer something that I can excuse It's something that I must run from and flee from and desire the righteousness of God. Another one is that I would have a submission of authority. Where do you stand with authority in your life? At work. In your home. And when my life is given to God and I begin to examine myself, we spoke on this several months back, but submitting to the authority that's in us. I don't care if you like the president, I don't care if you like your governor, if you like your senator, if you like your mayor, if you like your principal, if you like, if if they're an authority over you, God says that we would submit under them. Here's what's really hard. This is what we spoke of before. We have to understand that God is sovereign and knows all things, and therefore he knows the president, he knows the senator, he knows that these people that are going to be over you, and we just have to trust God that God knows what he's doing. How are we when it comes to submission of the authority that's in our lives? How about obedience? Is there obedience in your walk with God? Which is a mark of an examined and authentic faith. Luke 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? Matthew 7, 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. John 8, 31, if you abide in, me, in my word, in my word in you, again, we would, we would have all of these things. Obedience would be a part of that. Another one would be that we would love. You cannot love God with everything in you and hate the people that are around you. It cannot happen. You cannot love God with everything in you and come to a church building and talk about the people that are beside you. It cannot happen. Examine ourselves. We have to. Because as we go through these things, there is, there is place after place after place, and we could probably stay here for many, many weeks, as to how God would share and speak when we examine our lives, what are areas that, what should you see? The fruits of the Spirit. The activity of our Christian life. We can go on and on and on. But this morning, as we, as we close out, We examine that authentic examination and authentic benefits, the things that God has given to us. And then looking as you examine your life and you begin to to see who you are. Where do I line up? Where do I line up against sin? Do I hate sin? Do I do everything I can to be righteous in my life? Not perfect. I can't be perfect. Man, I can strive to know God better. Where do I stand? This morning, when you examine your life, where do you see these marks? Again, it's not perfection. It's striving to know Him. 
God's word says that we would work through our salvation, that we would strive to know him more, that, that we would have all of those things in our lives to the best of our abilities. And today at church, at Oasis, I believe that as we go into 2018, I'm trusting God for incredible things. I believe that God's going to fill this auditorium. I believe that we're going to go into a second service. I believe some of those things, and that's great. But here's the prayer. Here's the desire of my heart. It's not that we would have one service or two services or three services or any of those things, but it's that we would examine ourselves to grow in Christ, that our church would be passionately following after God. And that in that, we would see souls come along and say, I need, I need that God. I need that Jesus that you speak of. I need that Jesus, not that you speak of, but that you live. I, I want that in my life. How do I do that? And listen, Oasis, the only way that we'll see any of those things is if from me all the way down through, we begin to examine ourselves according to the word of God and allow God to change us from the inside out. Period. And so let me ask you, as we close, and you sit here, if in the few minutes that you sit here and you're examining your life, you would say, Pastor, the examination is very simple for me. Because I know I've never fully surrendered my life to the Lord. I know that I know that I know that I need to set and get eternity set straight in my life. I need to surrender my life to the Lord. And whether you've sat here and this is your first time or you've sat here hundreds of times, you would say, I I truly know that I need to completely surrender my life to the Lord and truly seek Him in salvation in my life. The other part of that is you as a believer are sitting here. And you would say, I know that I need an examination of my life and being authentic. I know that I'm saved. I know that God's done a work in me. But I also know that I'm comfortable here. And I'm comfortable here. And I'm comfortable here. And I see this pocket over here in my life and I, I need to deal with it. And it might be hard to deal with it, but I need to deal with it. So this morning, two pretty simple questions. And I don't know where you're at. I don't very often push to have people come to the altar. But I'm going to ask you this morning. In examining your life in 2018... Moving forward, would you truly make an altar and say, God, I need you as Savior, but God, I'm too comfortable in these certain areas of my life, and I need you. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you, 
or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.